Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. It's the Bama Online Podcast. I'm Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL with you. It is a Labor Day edition of the podcast. Hope you're having a great holiday weekend up to this point. And look, we've still got the better part of a day to go, so it's not entirely in our rear view mirror. In fact, we've got some college football tonight. We've got BYU taking on Navy up in Annapolis. Beware that triple option, Cougs. Don't get tin-horned, right? It happened to Middle Tennessee State on Saturday, didn't it? Army absolutely pantsed the Blue Raiders. 42 to nothing up at West Point. So we'll have some college football tonight. We've got some professional golf later today involving an Alabama alum of note, Justin Thomas, trying to make a late run here for that $15 million that goes to the FedEx Cup champion. He's got an obstacle in front of him, though, boy. Dustin Johnson playing some really good golf right now, and he'll head into that final round today. Five shots clear of the field, including Justin Thomas there in a tie for second place with Xander Shoffley. Don't feel too bad for Justin, though, if he does come up a little bit short today because whereas first place in the FedEx Cup gets $15 million, second place gets five, and then you stagger it down about a million per spot until you get to about fifth. And remember, Justin already pocketed $2 million in bonus money before the start of the FedEx Cup playoffs. He was number one in the points heading into the Wyndham Championship, and that got him a couple of cool mill to get himself going for the postseason. You've had Major League Baseball. You've had the Kentucky Derby. Did you enjoy a mint julep on Saturday while you watched Authentic? win the 2020 Kentucky Derby. You've got NHL playoffs. You've got NBA playoffs. You've got the NFL getting ready to get underway this week, Thursday night. The newly paid Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans going to take on the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. A couple of quarterbacks that got paid in the offseason, right, between Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. So you're going to have NFL football. You've had a lot of news here in the last few days involving former Alabama players, some roster moves made around the NFL. So a lot to keep you up with right there at BamaOnline.com. We continue with the updates. It's Labor Day, but for us, it's college football season. So we just keep rocking and rolling. And speaking of football, the Alabama Crimson Tide did practice on Saturday at Bryant-Denny Stadium. They'll get back to work on Tuesday, and you'll hear from head coach Nick Saban. After Tuesday's practice, now, a lot of situational work from what we could gather on Saturday in this latest practice. And you continue to hear a lot of good things about some young defenders, continue to hear a lot of good things about guys on offense that you would expect to hear some good things about. 
Continues to be some competition at a couple of areas uh, on that offensive side of the ball, even with the returning star power that the Crimson Tide brings back. Uh, and speaking of Bryant-Denny Stadium, I got down there here over the weekend. And, you know, checking out the construction, I think it was yesterday. Yeah, it was Sunday. Went riding around down there. And just checking out the construction, and it really dawned on me that, look, Alabama was supposed to have had its home opener this Saturday against Georgia State. So while I don't think the stadium would have been entirely done in terms of the renovations and everything else that's going on, uh, if that were still the case that Georgia State was going to be in here Saturday, I think it would have been close. And I certainly think it would have been close enough to facilitate you know, your typical UA home crowd. And again, we've got a lot of great information there for you on the roundtable at BamaOnline.com. So as always, you want to post up there with us to stay in the loop. All right, so what we've got for you today on the podcast, we're going to dissect some discussion between Bud Elliott and also Barton Simmons. Now, for those who don't know, I'm sure you do. Barton's been around forever. Barton's is, Barton is the director of scouting for 247sports.com. Bud Elliott is our national scouting analyst, and together they produce one of the handful of podcasts from 247sports.com personnel that you can catch just about anywhere you consume podcasts, just like this one. And recently they had a discussion about why they believe Alabama is the clear-cut favorite to win the Southeastern Conference during the 2020 season. And so we'll get into some of that. We'll listen in on their discussion, and what we'll do is we'll come out of it, and then I'll provide you with some thoughts on what they had to say, some reaction to Bud and Bart. And they get into some areas where they have some questions about 2020 Alabama, and then they also get into some discussion about whether or not they would take Alabama versus the field in the Southeastern Conference for the 2020 season. First, though, here are the guys outlining some areas where they may have a question or two about the Crimson Tide. And also, in relation to those questions, do the teams on Alabama's schedule possess the type of firepower to perhaps take advantage of some of those current concerns and questions? Here's Bud and Barton. I'm excited to see what they do. And my number one question for Alabama this year was secondary, aside from, from Pat Sertan. And yet I look up and down this, this schedule that Bama has, which opposing passing offense really scares you if you're Nick Saban? Like, there's no LSU 2019 on this schedule. Like, are you scared of Auburn? I'm not scared of LSU's passing offense anymore. I mean, he pretty much owns Jimbo Fisher's offense and all opposing guys who used to work for him. If you're Bama, it, it may be the case, Barton, that your number one potential weakness does not actually get exposed in SEC play. That's a good point. Uh, it's fun. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it very quickly, the SEC just cycled back to like, you know, absolutely no threats anywhere in terms of, of passing offenses. I hadn't really thought about that until you just said it, but like Georgia, we know what they're trying to be or what they're purporting to like move towards, but there's nothing that tells us that they're 
you know, anywhere close to where they need to be on that front. Uh, LSU, we talked about Texas A&M. Sure, there's like potential there, but that's still pretty, pretty plotting. Like Jimbo Fisher isn't even really trying to just like open it up. And uh, Kellen Mond, we know how maddening he can be. Bo Nix, limited. Uh, Cal Trask in Florida, like that's probably as potent as, as you're going to get. And still, like that's just, you know, I don't feel like anyone's waking up in cold sweats about Florida's picking you apart, throwing the ball. Like they have some playmakers and Kyle Trask is, is, you know, is very capable. might be the best quarterback in the conference, but he's not a first rounder. Um, Tennessee ways to go. I mean, they, they got some young talent at receiver, but they're freshmen, South Carolina, no speed, Kentucky, Mississippi state. Like I, Mississippi State, obviously air raid, but like year one in it, I, I don't think that's that's going to be of too much concern. Arkansas, Miss Missouri, Vanderbilt, like I just, you're right, man. It's uh, it really is a conference that's, I would say, probably the least scary conference to play in from a pass uh, threat in, in college football. Um, and you know, in that sense, like. You know, when I look at the players in the secondary for Alabama, I actually, I, they look like good players to me. And and so I, I still sort of expect that defensive backfield to be really good. I'm more interested to me in what happens with the edge rushers because they, you know, they lost Anthony Jennings. They lost Terrell Lewis. They've got um, Ben Davis coming back in addition to um, who's, oh, Chris, uh, uh, Chris Allen, Chris oh, Allen, Allen right. uh, the, the, as their sort of starters, but those guys aren't necessarily like high upside types. They're more just the veterans. So does Will Anderson, Drew Sanders, the true freshman five-star, do they come in and provide like a, a legitimate scary pass rush threat? That That's something that I'm really interested in. And, and more importantly, like are those guys equipped mentally to, to sort of handle the workload uh, in terms of scheme and everything else, but um, cause I have no doubt about their ability. So I'm anxious to see what the defense looks like. Uh, but you're right, man. It's uh, you know, they're deeper than they've been up front defensively and, and, and with Dylan Moses back at linebacker, like they will be really stout, I think in the front seven against the run, um, which is, uh, I think what you need to be in the sec this year. So there you go, Bud, like a lot of folks, wondering about that Alabama secondary, and understandably so, as we've talked about many times here on the podcast. You've seen us write about there at BamaOnline.com, replacing four of your top five guys in your nickel package. Got to figure out which guys can handle multiple roles if you do, in fact, have those kind of guys, or you're going to be entirely situational. In other words, are your corners going to be your corners? Is your star going to be your star? Your safety is going to be your safety? Uh, your money back going to be your money back? These are all things that continue uh, to see Alabama work through. At this point, I would lean more to the situational roles than having an Xavier McKinney or a Minka Fitzpatrick that may be down by down moves to a different role. You heard Barton talk about the pass rush again we continue to hear great great things about the true freshman will anderson you got a couple of veterans there like barton touched on with chris allen with ben davis so you have a mix of program guys to this point 
and dynamic newcomers. That's what you're looking at in terms of the edge pass rush. Now, interior pass rush should become a strength this year. Last year, it was very much a weakness. So you can sort of offset some of that maybe early in the season if you aren't exactly getting a ton out of your edge pass rush. Your interior pass rush should be a step up from a year ago. And I think Barton's point about this year being more in the SEC about slowing down run games because of transition of not only quarterbacks but wide receivers even brain trust when it comes to passing attacks like LSU's have moved on to the National Football League so you know that's an area where Alabama we haven't talked about it as much we've talked about it but you haven't seen a lot of discussion about it you've heard Nick Saban touch on it Alabama wasn't able a year ago defensively to make offenses one-dimensional Not enough anyway. And so it showed up in both the statistics where Alabama against the run was historically bad under Nick Saban. And then kind of the double whammy was that in third downs, they didn't get off the field enough. Weren't as good as they need to be in red zone as either. So that's not a great place to be when it's sort of coming out both ends, as they say. Both with good points too, I thought. Again, about opposing passing offenses and whether they'll be able to exploit Alabama on defense. It's a sensible take. And just look at the Alabama schedule for more on that. And I'm thinking more along the lines of legit challengers than others that obviously still have a little ways to go. I mean, with Missouri, you're transitioning to a new coach and a new quarterback. Kentucky now, you look at that offense, and that's probably a top three or four offensive line in the league. But you got a quarterback in Terry Wilson coming off a knee injury. Lynn Bowden Jr. is no longer around to run the Wildcat. I do think that game in November falls in a pretty tough spot on the schedule because you're going to be coming off LSU, which typically is a very physical football game, and then you're going to head right back into a physical matchup with Kentucky the very next week. You know, you look at Arkansas, Rakeem Boyd, I love him as a running back. Felipe Franks comes in there at the quarterback position. Trey Knox is a wide receiver that you don't hear enough about. Really a physical type freak. But other than that trio, who else do you have? I still don't think you're going to be good enough up front in year one under Sam Pittman on the offensive side of the ball. So what about the opponents most likely to find some success on offense against Alabama? Well, I think you start with that in week two. And you get A&M in here with Kellen Mond, Isaiah Spiller, Jamon Osmond, most of that offensive line back. There's something of note to consider, though, with the Aggies, and it's cropped up here just recently. Jimbo Fisher loves some tight ends, and he was set this season to have maybe the best duo in all of college football in a second-year player in Jalen Weidermeyer and also a second-year guy in Baylor Cup who had to redshirt a year ago due to injury. Well, Cup once again went down recently with a shoulder injury. He has undergone surgery. He is out indefinitely. And that's big because, again, Jimbo likes the two tight end stuff. Uh, Weidermeyer was really good as a true freshman last year. He had a pretty big game against Alabama back in October. So, what you also consider with AM offensively is there's just not enough explosive play production for Mond in that passing game. That's not to put it all on Kellen Mond. 
I think as much as anything, Kellen Mond with his legs is able to give that offense some explosiveness. But in terms of just throwing the football, when you look at Kellen Mond's yards per attempt, really over his career compared to some guys like Joe Burrow in 2019 and Tua Tonga-Vailoa for 18 and 19, it's, uh, it's a different sort of realm there. And again, some of that has to do with the lack of explosiveness on the outside as much as anything else. Now, you get into week three, you go to Ole Miss, you're obviously going to have Lane Kiffin and that new offensive staff there in Oxford. And look, I think there are some pieces for that Ole Miss offense and for Lane to build with. Sounds like Matt Corral at this point might be in the lead to win that quarterback job, at least initially. You've also got John Rice Plumley there. Got a really good potential stable of backs. Jerry and Ely, Snoop Connor. Uh, That's a nice one-two punch. Uh, You've got some guys that can make some plays. I'm thinking Elijah Moore, the slot-type receiver, is probably going to get 74 jet sweeps this season under Lane. You've also got a a talented, bigger-type receiver in Jonathan Mingo. You saw him catch a touchdown pass here in Tuscaloosa against Alabama a year ago. So maybe a sneaky, sneaky good matchup with Ole Miss there in week three. Ole Miss offensive line has a chance to be pretty good too. Can't afford any injuries, don't have the depth. But you know Lane's going to have something special, right? He's going to have something special early, especially in that game because you remember 2014 how he drew up a lot of stuff for Amari Cooper uh, and a chance at least for Ole Miss to have some balance on offense. You get to week four, Uh, Is JT Daniels, a quarterback for Georgia, going to be ready to go at this level? He has practiced this preseason coming off the knee injury from a year ago, but now with Jamie Newman opting out, you got to sort of think that the return for JT Daniels has been expedited. Uh, You lose both of the starting tackles from a year ago to the first round of the 2020 NFL Draft. George Pickens back at wide receiver, but then Dominic Blaylock sustains his second ACL injury in nine months here recently. couple of really talented backs looking to take over for DeAndre Swift. Bring in a grad transfer tight end and Trey Kitty from Florida State. Got some weapons, but I still don't know if you have enough, right? Still don't know if you have enough. And I do think where I like Georgia a little bit, maybe over A&M, and we'll get into this a little bit later, is that the chance to get it ugly might be there a little more so for the dogs than A&M. Tennessee in week five, like the offensive line, with or without Cade Mays, the Georgia transfer, seeking the immediate eligibility waiver still in the appeal process there. But you've got major quarterback questions still. Brian Maurer, Jared Guarantano. And as much as anything, I'm not sure about the depth of playmakers in general for that offense. Solid at running back. Don't have a go-to guy, at least that we know of, like a Jawan Jennings at wide receiver from a year ago. Velas Jones comes in from Southern California, but he seems to be more of a complimentary guy and a kick returner. Um, So the matchup up front will be fascinating. But again, One of those sort of either-or situations when you look at an Alabama opponent in Tennessee. Mississippi State in week six. Halloween, Nick Saban's birthday here in Tuscaloosa. Mike Leach brings the air raid over from Starkville. K.J. Costello in from Stanford at the quarterback position. Kylan Hill 
at running back, he's going to get a ton of touches. I know there's been talk about, well, how is this going to impact him with Mike Leach's offense? Go look at uh, Max Borgie, the Washington State running back's reception total from last year. I think it was north of 80, 80 catches for a running back. So, look, Leach isn't stupid. In fact, if you ask him, he'll tell you he's pretty damn smart. So, Hill's going to get touches. And again, though, similar to Tennessee, you wonder about the playmakers at wide receiver. I think they're coming in the next couple of years to Starkville. I just don't know if they're there quite yet. LSU in week eight, quarterback change, offensive coordinator change in terms of the passing game with Joe Brady moving on to the Carolina Panthers. Jamar Chase in the last couple of days opts out. Uh, You had already lost a lot of your offensive line from a year ago, including your starting left tackle. Then you get hit by COVID in the preseason at that spot. Clyde Edwards-Alar is now a Kansas City Chief. Still a lot of talent at running back. Going to have three guys that can probably get that job done uh, for you. But anywhere near the proficiency offensively from 2019, no. No, you can't envision that happening. Week 10, you get the Auburn Tigers here in Tuscaloosa. And the key here, as we talked about earlier, in my opinion, is going to be whether or not Alabama can get back to making teams one-dimensional on offense. If that proves to be the case, can Bo Nix carry that Auburn offense past Alabama with just his arm? I like Seth Williams a lot at wide receiver. A lot of people talk about, wow, George Pickens was the one that got away from Auburn and Alabama. For me, for from the Alabama perspective, it was Seth Williams. Not that Alabama has been subpar at wide receiver, okay? We all understand that. But Seth Williams is a really good player, and not only that, he's a really good player from Tuscaloosa. He's also going to have Anthony Schwartz with him there in that rotation, but you got a revamped offensive line, new offensive line coach, which seemed to be needed, if we're being honest here. Uh, so you're going to still have some questions uh, with that Auburn offense. So that's some expansion on the opponent's point that was made by Bud and Barton. And when we come back, we'll hear what they had to say about – Alabama versus the field in terms of picking an SEC champion. It's all next when the Bama Online podcast returns right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, so we're back with more of the Bama Online Podcast, a Labor Day edition of the podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? It's as simple as a click. It's free. You can do it wherever you consume your podcast, whether that's iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Megaphone, you name it. Also, check out a subscription to the Bud and Barton podcast while you're there as well. Speaking of which, we're going to continue to listen in on some recent discussion from Bud Elliott and Barton Simmons on their pod, where, again, they talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide being the clear-cut favorite to win the Southeastern Conference in 2020 what we're going to hear next is some discussion about some breakout candidates for alabama 
Also, the scenario of Bama versus the field in the SEC for the upcoming season. We'll hear that from Bud and Barton right now. It's all about, I mean, I think, you know, we talked about, you talked about sort of how you, where do you place um, LSU in the conference pecking order now? Like uh, that all depends on sort of how you view A&M, how you view Auburn, uh, because it's, I mean, is A&M ready to take a step forward and be a team that Alabama has to sweat? Um, is uh, Auburn is that every year because they're just Auburn and it's Iron Bowl. And so I'm, I'm not going to rule that out this year either. Um, but A&M, like that's the big X factor. Like, I think a and is going to be really good. Um, but I also think that they, they hadn't really proven yet. Like it's just an assumption that they'll be ready to, to, to kind of play on that sort of stage. And, and they haven't, you know, there's no reason, there's no, there's no proof that they will be. And so that's to me is the big X factor in terms of like, is if can Alabama run the table? Does is nine and one sort of the best you can hope for, for any sec team this year? Um, th- that to me just depends on whether we're counting a and M as a threat, because I think LSU has diminished as a threat. You know, a Georgia's absolutely is a threat to me. Um, you know, what else is out there on this schedule? Uh, I, I suspect a and M is one, but I, I, that, that is much more projection than anything else. At this point, if I if I was to ask you, would you take Bama or the field in the West? I know where I'm going. I'm I'm going Bama. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Me I, I and uh, probably most years I would do. I would say Bama. I don't know if I would have said Bama last year before the season, um, but this year, just I think. I mean, look, Alabama's like this, like we, we, we talk about, you know, Ohio state and Clemson were the the preseason favorites, but like anyone that was dismissing the idea that Bama was, wasn't in a great position to win a national title with a full field this year is kidding themselves. Like this is, this is, this might be as good a roster as we've seen from Bama. Like it's, it feels like we say that a lot, but like, this is, with the offensive lineman that came back, that's the loaded running back field. You still have two first rounder potentially at wide receiver. Your defense is, is, is bet will be better than it was probably the last two years. Um, with the defensive line getting a little more depth and healthy and with, uh, Dylan Moses coming back at linebacker, like, I guess there's question marks, but I, I it wouldn't surprise me if this is one of Alabama's better teams. I, I actually agree with you there, uh, for sure on that. And, and I mean, the biggest threat to them is probably just COVID. To be honest, I mean, like if they if they stay healthy and stay together, I, I'm not saying it's impossible for them to to you know to go eight and two, but I I have to feel good about them getting at least a split of those A and M and and Georgia games, both of which happen to be in Tuscaloosa. Now, granted, it's not a huge advantage this year because the the tide, I don't think the Tide's home crowd is going to be anything special if they even have fans. I think they're supposed to have fans right this year, but not not a full crowd. Yeah, um, you'll, you'll probably not enough here. to affect the snap count and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So to answer Bud's question there at the end of that segment, yes, the plan as it sits right now is for Alabama to have limited capacity for home games this season at Bryant Denny Stadium, somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty twenty five thousand, based on the one hundred thousand plus that you're typically able to get into uh, the stadium there here in Tuscaloosa. So 
When you consider, though, the scenario that the guys posed in terms of the SEC West and Alabama versus the field in the division, it's interesting that in two of the last three years, it hasn't been Alabama that has represented the division in the championship game of the Southeastern Conference. It was Auburn in 2017. Alabama went on to win the national championship that year. And then, of course, a year ago, it was the LSU Tigers. Alabama, in between all of that, did beat the Georgia Bulldogs for the SEC title in 2018. But it has been anything but easy, as we know, in the SEC West for Alabama, even in a sort of unprecedented run like we've seen from Nick Saban as head coach. In nine of his 13 seasons, Alabama has dropped a game to an SEC Western Division foe. The crazy stat in all of this continues to be Alabama's success against the SEC East. Alabama has not lost a game to an SEC Eastern Division opponent since 2010. Still got to go back to that hot early October afternoon there in Columbia, South Carolina, when Steve Spurrier and the Gamecocks took care of business against that 2010 Alabama team. Still crazy to think about that type of streak against the SEC East. So we're going to hear and read a lot about Georgia being the biggest obstacle between Alabama and a 10-0 season in the regular campaign. And that's understandable. At least you have seen from Georgia, uh, and you got to consider Auburn in all this too, but of the opponents on the schedule and the ones that you feel comfortably talking about because it comes at a point early enough on a schedule where you're thinking COVID-19 perhaps won't have as much of a chance to impact what's sitting there on the schedule. Uh, Georgia certainly stands out as, as that type of game with Kirby Smart and that defense. Uh, but really, when you talk about being able to control your own destiny, it's Texas A&M for Alabama in week two. You know, you beat Texas A&M in week two, lose to Georgia in week four, you're still in control of your own destiny in the SEC West. And yes, we're still playing divisional play, even in a 10-game schedule. You lose to A&M in week two, then you figure you really have to beat Georgia two weeks later. It'd be kind of similar to 2015, right? When Ole Miss came into Tuscaloosa, and beat Alabama, and then you sort of had to go to Georgia really in need of a win. Alabama got it in a monsoon there at Sanford Stadium. Could be a a similar scenario uh, if, in fact, the Aggies get over the hump here in Tuscaloosa for the first time since 2012. So in terms of the team of those two most likely to beat Alabama, I would still probably go with Georgia a few weeks ago. You know, if I looked at the schedule in general, my pick likely would have been LSU. But after the opt-outs on top of everything else the Tigers already had to replace, I'm going to go with Georgia right now with A&M next. You know, I don't think either A&M or Georgia, and this is getting back to the explosiveness on offense that we talked about earlier, I don't think either one of them have that kind of dynamic to their offenses that is really going to help them in games against Alabama to really separate, give themselves some breathing room. But I do think the Georgia defense will be a little more up to the challenge. I expect A&M to be improved, and they better be, because Mike Elko, the Aggies defensive coordinator, is one of three 
SEC Western Division DCs now making in excess of $2 million per season. I do think A&M will be improved on that side of the ball, and it could help A&M seeing Alabama a little earlier with that offense transitioning in some ways. Returns a ton of firepower. We get that. Uh, but I think what I'm getting at here is that I like Georgia's defense better than I like A&M's defense. And with that, I think Georgia has a better chance here in Tuscaloosa to get the kind of game it's going to need to win. In other words, as I talked about earlier in the podcast, the ability to ugly it up a little bit, you know, to perhaps win a 21 to 17 game, something like that. Now you still, even with Tua Tagovailoa and Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and those guys moving along, you don't really want to get into a uh, explosive play fest with Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris. Now, the other side of that is the way this Alabama offense is built for 2020. I think Alabama's going to be able to withstand those type of games better than perhaps it could have in some recent years with that offensive line, with some veterans at the tight end position to go along with that group as an extension, with Najee Harris able to take on 20-plus carries really be able to control things a little bit better, perhaps from an offensive perspective. And I do agree with the guys and what you heard they had to say about the quality of UA's roster for the upcoming season. Look, we are very much quarterback-centric as media, as fans. It's understandable. And the, the game is very much about the quarterback position. So when you looked at the top two teams, perceived top two teams heading into this season, when the Big Ten still had plans of playing football – you went with Justin Fields in Ohio State, and you went with Trevor Lawrence in Clemson with those returning quarterbacks. But top to bottom, this Alabama roster is as national cha- championship capable as just about any that Nick Saban's had in Tuscaloosa. You know, it can play various styles of offensive football. Certainly expect the defensive side to be improved from the last couple of seasons. And I say all this, and who the hell knows what COVID might do to some of these matchups. That's another concern for another day, right? That's going to do it for a Labor Day edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Once again, we appreciate your support of the Bama Online Podcast. Certainly appreciate your support of BamaOnline.com. Hang out there with us on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans everywhere. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com. Thanking you once again for joining us. Have a great rest of your holiday weekend, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.